This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Dave Applegate, founder of Import Yeti, to talk about the supply chain visualization tool that he built and what he's learned from the ways that people use it. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Oh, I really appreciate you having me, Mercy. So I first learned about Import Yeti in February of 2021, when it absolutely exploded on Reddit. For listeners who don't know, Import Yeti uses publicly available bill of lading data to visualize companies' international supply chains. It's free, you don't have to create an account or anything like that, and it's pretty easy to play around with. So it attracted a lot of attention from some honestly pretty surprising corners of the internet. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, Dave, to hear about what you've learned from all those users over the last year. But first, can you give us a quick overview of how Import Yeti has evolved since you first released it? Yeah, so originally, uh, my main uh, company is Wrestling Mart. We sell high school wrestling equipment, you know, for all the major brands. And we were struggling to find some manufacturers for certain products overseas a long time ago. Um, and uh, we stumbled across this data and it was kind of the answer for us because you could, you know, visualize who's moving what sort of goods from you know what areas and it was really helpful in answering questions like where are the centers for like let's say you're making weightlifting equipment and you know that tends to focus in one area in china it's not like every place makes weightlifting because there's different human resources and physical resources that are required to make those goods you have to have the metal work you have to have the people who are capable of doing that metal work um, and this data was just, you know, completely, you know, revolutionary for us. We um, had some internal tools that allowed us to use it. And then um, when the pandemic hit, we found a little more time on our hands and we went online. And we just said, hey, we're doing these things ourselves, but other people find them valuable. Um, and people just kind of, we just stayed real close to who was using it and just talking with people. And uh, it's kind of evolved from there. Very cool. So I've got to ask you how it feels to be part of the, uh, I guess what I'm calling the supply chain hype wave. There's so much attention, especially from people who yeah. didn't really know about supply chains before. It's all they want to talk about. So how does it feel to be right in the middle of all that? It's been kind of wild, you know. Um, I feel like, you know, supply chain is one of those things where people don't really like give it love unless there's problems with it. You know, it's just like they wait till if something's wrong, then everyone's talking about it. But as long as everything's fine, it's just kind of swept under the rug. And I put myself in that bucket as well. Um, and, uh, you know, because of important, I've been having conversations with all these people. And it's so fascinating to see kind of how they're thinking about it. And one of my favorite thought threads is like the emphasis on risk now. You know, it's not just like, am I choosing the right supplier at the best cost? It's like, how do I have a supply chain that's resilient? that can, um, you know, withstand, you know, you know, tariff changes or world events or, you know, um, you know, a supplier disappearing or something like that. And, um, you know, there's just so much thought power getting pushed in that direction. Uh, you know, I've spoken probably uh, 50 professors or something like that, you know, and everyone's taking different angles, you know, it's just, it's so interesting to see that kind of innovation starting to happen where people really don't know what the right direction is, but they're just feeling it out and you can see the, um, you know, the trends start to emerge. Totally. And I think it's really cool to hear not just supply chain people talking about, you know, uh, you know, risk mitigation and resiliency, but also executives are talking about that and even in consumers. So I kind of want to go there next. Um, I know that a lot of the people, especially, you know, on those early Reddit threads yeah. who were using the tool were in consumers. Um, what have you yeah. learned from the way that they're using this? 
So I think that like the average end consumer is really, really concerned with sustainability. And where it gets tough is like you can look at some brands and they'll say it'll say made in the USA or it will not, at least not emphasize where it's made. Um, and people kind of instinctively know this probably isn't the truth. You know, like there's some goods you kind of know are made in the USA and other things you're like, man, what percentage of it is made in the USA? And, you know, uh, you know, Import Yeti starts to provide some insight into those sorts of questions because you can see, you know, hey, this brand, although they, the T-shirt might be made or sewn in the USA, the fabric is made in, you know, China. Um, and when you have an international, you know, supply chain, like pretty much everybody does, there really is no such thing as made in the USA for 99.9% of goods. It's like, you know, maybe some assemblies done there, some assemblies done in China, some of it's done in India, some of it's done, you know, the raw goods might come from a different country. Um, and being able to start to kind of, you know, visualize like where, when I buy this, what countries it actually touches. And, you know, is there potential things I disagree with with those countries? You know, if you're looking at places like China, you know, a lot of people are very opposed to the way they treat, you know, certain, you know, uh, groups, whether it's like, you know, gay, transgender, you know, whatever, or it could be, the, you know, the Uyghur Muslims, or it could just be, you know, um, as simple as like, hey, a country has a propensity to, have, you know, have, you know, not, you know, give people living wages. Mm -hmm. um, so it's starting to make more informed kind of, you know, purchasing decisions from a consumer side, you know, people have been very interested in. Although I would like to kind of taper that with saying, I think a lot of people are very misguided in that space. And they have like lofty ideals and they think they can solve those problems. But really, it's just, you know, it's complicated. As I mentioned, if you get a T-shirt, there's no way you're not going to get a T-shirt that has, you know, components of it made in different countries. Absolutely. So I want to turn now to, to how businesses have, uh, you know, approached you about this tool. Um, has anyone been upset with the way that their data looks or asked you if there's more that Import Yeti can do for them? Yeah. So, um, you know, we haven't really had anybody that's upset with this. This day has been around forever. You know, it's not like I'm the first person to expose it publicly. There's 50 other people to do it. I have made it much easier and, you know, lower the barriers to entry. Um, but I'm not, you know, really inventing the, um, the wheel here. What's really interesting is how businesses are using data like this to try to better understand the landscapes of supply chains. Because one of the things that gets really hard is if you're, you know, let's say you make um, ceramic coffee mugs, right? The only way you really get out of your seat to understand the way ceramic coffee mugs are made is by hitting the pavement, or I should say the only way. The only way without tools like import, yeah, is to go to places like, you know, China and then other countries and start to just network and understand, hey, who's really making what goods, physically look at the factory, understand, you know, what their capabilities are. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. uh, Tools like Import Yeti can start to say, hey, here's who the movers and shakers are in a space like this. And you can start to kind of understand the competitive landscape. Hey, the majority of coffee mugs are made out of this part of China and this part of Vietnam. And then you start to get interesting questions like, hey, how come we're not in the Vietnam factories as well as the Chinese factories, uh, which is great from a risk you know, mitigation standpoint. Uh, you know, really trying to grasp, you know, are there changes that are happening within either competitors or our supply chains that we should be aware of? You know, are people moving away from China into Vietnam or into India? Um, you know, what if I'm going to try to find a new um, supplier? Who are, where are the right places to look? You know, and how reliable are these suppliers? Like one of the big problems we'll see is that, you know, especially if you're not a huge company, the way people will try to find suppliers is they go in a place like Alibaba. 
and then you search dumbbell or barbell or coffee mug and it literally will be in the thousands of suppliers on there sometimes tens of thousands now it's not 10,000 people actually make barbells or coffee mugs it's only a you know the barbell situations maybe like 20 or 30 mm. in the world and then with coffee mugs it's a few thousand but you'll get trading groups they'll say i sell coffee mugs and i sell you know uh these sort of chop skis and i sell tea mugs and i sell you know coffee grinders or whatever the ancillary products are, which that's a great product offering, but it's not direct to the factory. With import, you can start to ask yourself questions like, what does this company actually specialize in? What volume do they actually move? How long are their customer relationships? Do they have customer relations with companies that are trusted and known? Because if you're working with, you know, you know, Lee Crissette or whoever the, you know, we'll say the big dog is in the, you know, ceramic space, there's a strong implication that they've done their due diligence and they're choosing the right vendor. Um, and, you know, so, you know, you can really paint an interesting picture around, you know, some of the decisions you're starting to make and give you data in a way that didn't exist before. Totally. I'm curious if anyone, um, either vendors or, or, or business folks have asked you if you've been, if there's a, possibility to integrate your tool with some existing tools that are out there out there i know that of course you know there are folks have like been using this data for a while but this tool is yeah. easy to use so has anyone kind of reached out about that yeah we've got a lot of interest in that space um it really depends on kind of what your research question is like i don't think that import yeti adds a lot of value if you're just trying to like import it with your srm you know um but I think it, like there's really interesting things you can start to ask. Like, let's say you have, you're trying to um, assess who potential, you know, vendors are that you might need to go to to de-risk your supply chain. Like, there's really interesting analysis you can run if you're looking at the data in a more raw format mm -hmm. um, using, you know, tools like Python and um, in R. Uh, that we have seen a lot of people do some really fascinating stuff. And we had someone do some, you know, forex exposure risk where they were essentially looking through their supply chains and competitor supply chains and then, you know, other vendors and saying, if we move between countries, what is the, you know, the forex exposure change? Mm. And, you know, uh, how much money could we save by, you know, moving from one place to another? You know, what sort of forex, you know, um, uh, exposure exists in our current supply chain? Um, and I find those questions really, really fascinating. That is very cool. Um, so speaking of, uh, of research, and you mentioned professors earlier, um, I know, yeah. you know, this is definitely something that's ripe for academic students to, to kind yeah. of play with. Um, and I know you've told me before that some have used it. So what have you learned about from the, the ways that um, kind of the more academic side of things has yeah. used this tool? The first thing is, is it's really hard to try because a lot of them are in the ESG space. They're trying to say, how can we make supply chains or lower the propensity that you're going to end up on the front page of the New York Times sure. saying, you know, blankety blank companies using child labor laws or, you know, uh, this. And those problems are really, really hairy and hard to solve. That's kind of like the first insight. And people are just trying to understand how you solve these things. And the way they, you know, they're approaching it is they'll try to take lots of data sources you know, the, you know, customs and border data set, known bad actors data sets, um, you know, uh, um, propensities for bad things to happen in regions, um, you know, scraping press and in news articles and trying to correlate all these things and then create, you know, factors that would say essentially, hey, we think there's higher risk exposure at this company or in this region or whatever, um, so that companies can make more educated decisions as they walk into 
vendor relationships because one of the things that gets hard is you're never going to talk to a vendor and be like, do you use child labor law? Child <laughs> labor, like, oh yes, yes, we've got a bunch of six-year-olds sitting in the basement. Now. <laughs> you know, nobody admits to that. Uh, you know, and then you know, in the in the same thing in the environmental space, like really trying to assess, like, hey, what is the environmental impact of certain supply chains? Um, you know, in with the import data, so you can do some really interesting stuff on quantifying the carbon emissions of like transportation. But that's such a small percentage of most supply chains. The vast majority is in the actual manufacturing of the goods. Um, and so can you start to say like, hey, we think that there's less of a carbon footprint if you make a good out of this region versus this region. Um, you know, that, that's where I've seen the majority of the um, kind of, you know, stuff. But it feels like what the Internet is in like the 1990s. You know, where it's like nobody really knows what's happening yet. And it's just kind of like an innovation wave where they're starting to push forward and they're starting to ask questions that are really interesting. But there hasn't been something where it's like, yes, you know, the Google hasn't you know, emerged yet. Totally. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if uh, among the student population, uh, you yeah. know, they may not be directly interfacing with you, but do they think this tool is cool? Like, do they think this is like what, what's their perspective on, I guess, yeah. like the, the hype factor? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think anybody who plugs in, you know, starts using this thing, you immediately get a cool factor because you just get to type in Lululemon or Nike and you're yeah. like, dude, they use this company. That's kind of a neat thing to see. Uh, so, you know, the first time you get students, really anybody, you know, they kind of, you go down this rabbit hole and you're like, and you wake up an hour later, you're like, dude, how did I <laughs> spend an hour doing this? Uh, and, uh, you know, and then I think if you're starting a company or you have dreams of starting a company, this gives you a really interesting like tool slash inspiration because you're a lot of people are like oh i'm thinking of creating a suitcase or a handbag or a you know coffee mug brand or fountain pens and then you look on import yet and you're like oh here's the manufacturers for that and you know even if they don't actually do it it's still like you know it's very inspiring to be able to kind of know a section of that you know thought you're having is, is easily solvable um and so I see a lot of people just kind of, you know, as they're having their business ideas, you know, vetting them on import Yeti the way they would vet them by, you know, trying to understand search volume or trying to understand, you know, various other indicators of whether the market might be viable. Totally. Yeah. I think it's really cool how like kind of demystifying it feels to use this yeah. tool. You're like, oh, wait, that's how that works. So what do you want to do with uh, import Yeti next? I know there's a lot of things people have been asking you to do with the import yeah. Yeti. <laughs> So we're, um, you know, one, I want to try to keep it free for, you know, at least the current, you know, kind of, we'll call it like feature set on the site. Like, I think it's really important that people can search things like, you know, um, Lululemon and see, you know, who the right manufacturers are. Um, we're thinking of like, what are select applications we can build on top of the data to serve particular like, you know, um, industries or niches. And like, you know, spoke a lot about risk, but like, we can do a lot of stuff to at least make you know steps in that direction. So when you search a company, we can say, hey, here is the risk factor based off of their currency. Mm -hmm. Here is the risk factor based off of you know certain political risks. Here is the risk factor based off of you know um, how uh, long their customers have stayed with them. You know, and starting to paint a picture similar to the way we do with import yeti and just the regular business visuals. But like, here's a compelling risk visual where somebody can without being an expert in risk, can start to ask themselves, at least identify the horizons of what risks they should be thinking about, and then try to quantify or push them into how to quantify these risk areas. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things we found is that 
supply chain is really, really complicated. And it's not just about, you know, showing the data, but it's showing in the data in a way that when somebody looks at a product, they can immediately understand what's going on without even realizing that's happening, or at least at, understand the questions they need to be asking. Um, and like a really good example of that is if you look at the opening graph on the important for the company, we show their shipments over time. And like, there is a handful of implications when someone sees that one, they understand growth and stuff like that, but it also tells them how accurate our data is in that company. And one of the things that's challenging about, you know, free customs data is it's not perfect in all situations. And if you look at a company and it shows they've moved, you know, 200 shipments a month, every month for, you know, 2018 or 2000, you know, 19, and they stop and they go down to zero in 2020 and they pick it back up in 2021. That probably wasn't the case. They actually stopped importing stuff for that year, but rather they changed, you know, a manufacturer, their supply chain shifted in some way. And just by looking at that graph, you inherently understand where there's holes and where our data is strong and weak. And we can do the same kind of thing with risk, where by just pointing certain things out and kind of laying it out in a really, really effective manner, people can grasp what's going on. I um, mean, they can start to just think about their supply chain in different ways. Awesome. Well, I hope I hope you get there because I think a lot of folks are really going to want that. Um, Thank, you. Well, Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Dave. I really appreciate it. Well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for listening to this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more about our research, and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm.